Welcome to another edition of Perspectives from Rothschild Co. My name is Laura Kunlan, and for today's edition, I'm joined by Simon Brewer, one of our senior advisors. A very warm welcome to Perspectives, Simon. You and your Money Maze podcast have been a tremendous source of inspiration for me since I initiated this podcast about a year ago. So it's a privilege to have you with us here in Newcourt in our London offices today, and I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> so, Simon, does it feel weird for you to be on the opposite side of the microphone today, yeah. not uh, in the role of the questioner, but as the one fielding the questions? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, strange and rather nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with you and your history then. You studied economic history at, at the London School of Economics. Before embarking on your finance career at Citibank Private Bank in 1985, you then transitioned to Morgan Stanley, where you held the positions of Chairman of European Asset Allocation and Chief Investment Officer for the European Private Wealth Management business for 17 years. So you've been patrolling the streets of finance for quite some time. However, if my recollection serves me correctly, one of your first jobs was quite distinct. You worked as a bellboy at the Palace Hotel in St. Moritz. <laughs> Have you ever considered writing your biography and titling it From Bellboy to CIO? <laughs> I'm not sure anybody would want to buy the book. <laughs> I'm very alarmed that you'd be able to extract this information. But yes, sort of this bizarre thing about the UK education system is lots of people do take um, gap years. And uh, and my my the first job I, I managed to secure after lots of applications pre internet and writing letters was uh, as a bellboy in Samaritz, which was actually one of the best jobs of my life. But uh, but yes, it sort of uh, it, it taught me vital, important lessons about dealing with tricky customers. And uh, walk us a bit through the rest of your journey after Switzerland then. Yeah, I then spent the rest of that gap year in South Africa, worked as a waiter and travelled, and then went to the London School of Economics, as you said. And um, I accepted a Citibank back in 1985 and was there for... Uh, Yes, for, for nearly four years, and then up to join Morgan Stanley, and um, where, of course, a few people you know, here at uh, Rothschilds are, which is the motivation for me eventually um, becoming a you know a, an advisor. Um, and uh, and I spent that time there at Morgan Stanley, and then I bought into a hedge fund where I was a principal for yeah for fourteen years, and I'm still you know still have my sort of stake, but I don't have any sort of operational responsibilities and then uh started to go as they might say plural which normally means you haven't got anything absolutely that you want to do or that anybody wants you to do and um sort of with a huge degree of serendipity this podcast came along which is now nearly four years ago and uh, uh although i do advise several pools of capital and so i kind of keep my hand in as an, an investor uh this podcast has become sort of front and center stage and uh, what's the most important lesson you've learned being a senior leader, oh. you would say? Well, I think you're learning all the time. You're learning about all your mistakes. And I do we sponsor uh, 10 universities, finance societies, uh, and I speak at a number of those um, societies. I was up at Durham the other day, and we had a set session on you know lessons, and they might be as much as if you can possibly pick up the phone rather than sending an email do it. If you can possibly organize that face-to-face -face mm. meeting, absolutely do it. It makes you know all the difference. Through to um, 
not overcomplicating things, always trying to bring you know, your sense of humor and, you know, and perspective and preparation. I tell my children endlessly fail to prepare and prepare to fail. Um, and uh, and that goes all the way back to my Goldman Sachs interview in 1985 when I thought I was very well prepared. Um, and when they asked me what I wanted to do, I said portfolio management for high net worth individuals. And they said, we didn't do that. I replied, I'm flexible, and they said the interview's over. <laughs> so, so preparation, absolutely key. And and being prepared to be, you know, um, well-researched and open-minded. I mean, I have to say is that there is always a danger in any institution as there is a line of thinking that prevails. Uh, it might be sort of you know, an approach to the investment markets. It might be you know, any, any number of things. But the, 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 the great unlocker of, you know, idea generation. So you always have to be open and adapt. Comes back to change is the only constant in life, right? That's absolutely right. And you know, it, the the research as you have to do ahead of you know talking to your guests, but the research that we do ahead of our guests is you know multi-hour. Um, but at each point in time, I find myself going, "Wow, I wish I'd known that earlier in my life." So you already touched upon the Money Maze podcast, obviously, which you launched in 2019, and it currently ranks in the top 1% of over 3 million global podcasts. That's an impressive number. Did you ever anticipate that it would be so successful? Never. <laughs> All right, next question. <laughs> a fantastic business partner, Will Campion, who set up uh, Campion Capital, having been at Warburg's and uh, JP Morgan running derivatives a long time ago. And he had seen on his travels the um, growth of these US podcasting enterprises, mm -hmm. um, at capital allocators being one particular one where, where the principal Ted Sides, we got to know and talked about a joint venture in Europe. He was too busy doing his own thing. And uh, so I was approached by Will. He said, you uh, Simon, what about you doing the, uh, the interviewing? And I sort of thought, well, why not? But he already had this strategic view of where this business could go if it, if it unfolded. And uh, we've been just extraordinarily fortunate in increasingly being able to attract you know more and more compelling characters you know from michael milken the other day or ray dahlia or we got tony blair coming on and uh and it's been extraordinarily exciting and we hope that we are educating we're informing and we're hopefully entertaining as well and and although our audience is essentially a global professional audience in is now 110 countries, we have an important cohort of young people who listen as well. Hence, one of the questions towards the end is what advice would you give to a young person thinking about, you know, finance or, you know, it might be financial journalism or it might be biotech. You know, there's always something to hear. So uh, it's it's gone way beyond our expectations. So you already touched upon the many fascinating individuals um, that you're interviewing. Are there any key takeaways from the many conversations that you've had that you can share with our listeners? Well, I think, as mentioned, research is key. I would feel very vulnerable if I went into an interview having had a cursory look at Wikipedia and, and you know, some other notes, because it's to be able to construct the conversation in a way that typically does follow, follow chronologically, because it's, I think it would be, it's helpful for listeners to understand why that person chose an American university over you know, a French one, or why they started as a lawyer. Um, not always, but typically we will, we will track a little bit of that, and then career decisions, particularly if they've maybe left a big firm to join a smaller one, what was their motivation, or vice versa. And uh, so, so I guess that research stands at the top of it. And also, there is a problem... Uh, and I hope I don't fall foul of this, of the uh, interviewer wanting to talk too much. Mm. And so the secret <laughs> is to ask the question and get out of the way. <laughs> All right. 
Um, coming back to your position at Rothschild Co., where you serve as a senior advisor to the business, could you share some insights into that position and maybe also what, in your view, sets Rothschild Co. apart from other banks? So I'm going to ask, answer that in reverse order. I think that the the name, the history, the uh, the, the caliber um, of the institution always stood out to me. I mean, I would have been much less inclined with a limited amount of time to have really done that work for any other financial organization I could think of. So I think that the, uh, you know, the, the the process sort of self, self-selected itself, you know, in the end, I knew some of the people because they had worked at Morgan Stanley. I thought I understood the culture, but I also was aware that the the idea that this great brand name with all of the heritage and history of, you know, preserving family wealth so unusually um, and, and serving as in some ways uh, as, a, as a as a test case for, uh, you know, for other families. Again, you know, it gives Rothschilds great credibility. I thought that made, you know, a, a lot of sense. And uh, I think that uh, the senior advisor role means different things in different parts of the firm. But I think the idea was, and it's changed a little bit in, in my case, is that I can be there both as a sounding board, that I can be able to talk to the investment team if they're at all interested in what I might have to say, which they may well not be. Um, I'm an ambassador um, that is feels you know very intensely that if somebody has had a wealth creating event or they are wealthy that they should consider Rothschild if they're you know thinking about you know potential options so I definitely feel a great sense of um, uh, ownership um, and loyalty. It's funny that you touched upon loyalty because I just did a podcast with our CEO and uh, we discussed the loyalty topic and that it is at least in my opinion one of the trademarks that sets us apart from our competitors. There was this one case in Zurich where someone had been working at the bank for more than 40 years, which is an impressive number. And increasingly alien in, the, in a world that where for sure. people are itching, sometimes prematurely, to, you know, to switch to, uh, you know, to another job. True. And would you say that from the insights you've gained from your podcast, your advisors, you're able to advise us even better? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, look, I, I know what I, uh, well, at least I try to remember that what I don't know, which is most things. Uh, so I think that the the aim here is to facilitate. I mean, we spend a lot of our time, you know, in our podcast universe, putting people together, previous guests. So I was actually, we, are, we had a charity carol service with some of our, you know, former guests attending. And one of the ladies who runs a very interesting business said, oh, I really like your interview with Scott Besant, who was Soros' CIO. Um, I couldn't see him on LinkedIn. Um, and I said, well, I'll just, I'll just put you two together, you know, tomorrow. And, uh, and so, and so there's a lot of that senior matchmaking that goes on because that's how you know the business world works. So as one sort of gets on in life, one realizes the importance of of putting people together who are you know our thinkers and operators and who might be able to to find that there's a uh, that there's something gels and business flows. In the end, it's always about the human trade, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So turning to the private, Simon, there's a quote by Abraham Joshua Heschel. When I was young, I admired clever people. Now that I'm old, I admire kind people. I'm not suggesting you're old, of course. But given our discussion on your extensive and successful career in the finance sector, an industry which is often associated with highly ambitious individuals, is it possible to combine kindness with the ambition required to climb the ranks? It definitely is. I'm not going to say that I have mastered those qualities. Um, I think that uh, you know being 
being kind and isn't necessarily the same as being compassionate. You can be a firm leader and be compassionate, but, you know, inherent within that is the necessity to make very tough, you know, decisions. Um, and we all want to be popular. Essentially, that's sort of almost the human condition mm. for most people. So, so when you have to do stuff that makes you less popular, it, it's difficult. And I definitely could look back and wish that I'd been a little less sharp-tongued at times, as uh, it was the Bill Gates line, wasn't it? Be nice to nerds; they might end up as your boss. And I, so I sort of versions of that out to my children endlessly, and then they look at me and they say, "But Daddy, you were uh, you did this or that?" And I said, "Well, yeah, but that's hopefully going to learn from my raft of errors." But when I talk to people about life, you know, the important things to take with you on your journey, it, it is not just that enthusiasm and the preparation. Um, it's the preparation to, 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 to listen to people. There's a book which says, um, if I could just tell you one thing, and if, you know, somebody had a sticker on their head, it said, you know, ask me a question so I can tell you a little bit about my life. I wish I'd been a bit more tolerant and, and intriguing. And I also say to people relentlessly, and I, I'm getting better at it, is if you're sitting next to somebody on a plane or a train for two hours and you don't speak to them, what a missed opportunity. You know, just say hello. The person may not want to talk to you, but it's amazing what flows. And again, sometimes we can be very private and siloed and particularly people put in their headphones, but, you know, just saying sort of something nice to somebody uh, can have a disproportionately positive impact. Mm. That's a very nice piece of advice. Is that then also the advice you would give to your younger self? Yes, I would give myself. Uh, there would be several, several, several <laughs> pages, of them. <laughs> several pages of advice, but being nicer and kinder, and listening to people more, and being more tolerant, and and being prepared to be more open-minded. That's you know that's just the first opening paragraph of lessons to self. Okay, then last question, because I know you're a bit of a wine connoisseur. Opus one, Lafitte Sassicaia. <laughs> So I worked in uh, Stag's Leap Vineyards in the summer of 84. Opus One was, was thereabouts, just, just coming because it had been, I think, one of the Rothschilds family who had said that uh, American wives were like Coca-Cola, they all tasted the same. And then Opus One came along, which was the co-creation of, you know, Mondavi's, uh, Mondavi's grapes and the Rothschilds vinification. Uh, I had it, I thought it was... of you know, fantastic at the time, but I knew nothing. I still know very little, but I wouldn't, I think it's just, it's fantastically marketed and very expensive. Um, I think Sasakaya, which you used to be able to buy at a quite a reasonable price, which has now gone gangbusters, is an absolutely delicious wine, but I'm afraid to say that, you know, that's easy. I'll have a uh, lost child any day. You had to say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think it's early to have a glass now, but it makes at least for a great closing. Uh, many thanks for taking your time today, Simon. Um, it's been an absolute joy having you on the podcast. Oh, Thank you so much. Appreciate it. If you want to find out more about the topics discussed in this episode, please go on www.rothschildandco.com forward slash insights. Thank you for listening. Please note, this audio content is produced by Rothschild & Co for information purposes only and any reliance on the information provided in it is done at your own risk. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild & Co. The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation, or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund, or any other banking or investment product. Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort, and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the fairness or accuracy of it. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance.